We're going to be in Romans chapter 1 today, and I invite you to find that in your Bible or on your phone or on your tablet, however you're reading. And I'll begin as you're finding that. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I caught one of those sicknesses that's going around. I know many people in the room have caught sicknesses that are floating around. Everything seems to be going around right now. Um, What I caught knocked me out for about a day, and then I came here and tried to preach, and made it, but uh, it was it was a hard one. But whenever there was a lot of muscle aches and all that kind of stuff that goes with it, as often happens. And whenever I experience moments where I'm, it's painful um, in life, particularly physically painful, especially, my prayer is always, God, either teach me or take it away, but don't let it be wasted time. One of those two things. If I'm going to go through this, I'd rather learn something and be instructed, because pain, often God actually uses those painful moments to teach us quite a lot, um, or take it away, but I, I don't want to be in this moment and just not have one of those two things happen, you know? And uh, I was talking to my spiritual director uh, a few days after that, who I meet with every month, where we sit and kind of listen to, how's God speaking to you that you might not be hearing it, Evan? And um, so I was debriefing that with, with him, and I learned a lot of things, actually. God taught me a number of things. Through that, I'll only give you one, which is, you know, we as a family have been going through a period of grieving, and my tendency is to get back into work fast and move fast again. And I like what I do, and I want to go fast with everything I do. And I had to slow down when I was sick. I couldn't move faster, and God's response to me in that prayer of teaching me was, next week when you feel better, you're going to want to go fast. Don't. Slow down right now. And I've been taking him at his word. And I bring that up because in the season of Advent, we're, we live in a season of waiting, where sometimes we can't go as fast as we want. We're waiting for something. We can't speed up the process many times. Advent is this season of coming, this season where we anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ, and we often focus rightly on the fact that he already came 2,000 years ago. But we also focus in Advent on the fact that he's coming again. And that's the promise, the second Advent, his return. And we live in between those two times and we wait. And I want to talk about a couple facts of history that are part of Advent and beyond in a moment. But I want to, I want to do it in reflecting on the fact that we live in a culture that's very subjective in how we approach these things. Your truth, my truth, culture. It's still very much the world we live in. You can believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. And because I feel that that feels good, that's the only rationale for which I would believe what I believe because of my feelings on the matter. But when we talk about the first advent, Jesus coming, we should recognize that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. That's a thing that actually happened. And any historian that studies that particular period of history And the world of Jesus would tell you that's a historical fact. All the source material points to this thing actually happening. It's not something we can really question. It's a fact. We also know, as we go just a little into the story of Jesus then, that factually, we know that Jesus died on a Roman cross. And we know that on the third day, there was an empty tomb. Anybody who studies That period of history, believer or not, will tell you the tomb was empty. 
Now, some of them at this point say, I don't feel the need to explain that, but they'll at least tell you the tomb is empty. All the evidence points to that, the factual evidence. We, of course, as believers, proclaim that we know why the tomb was empty, and I would suggest that historically it's the only thing that makes sense, that through God's power, he raised Jesus Christ from the dead on the third day. And we believe that as fact, and I think the facts point to that as only likely explanation of what happened on Easter. And so that enters us into the world of what Paul is talking about today in Romans chapter 1. And we're going to look at the first seven verses, but I want to look at verse 7 first. So Romans 1, 7. I better get to Romans. I told you to flip there, and I, my goodness. There we go. Like I can't work my Bible all of a sudden. Romans 1, 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith rests on the fact that Jesus was raised on the third day. If that didn't happen, it's all a mess. It's, it falls apart. And here we see something important about why Jesus was raised on the third day. It says God loves us. Now, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. God loves us. That applies to us today. But he says something more there. He doesn't just say, you, the church, are loved by God. He says something else. You're called to be his holy people. There's a transformation that's needed in us as humans if we're not simply loved by God, but called to be his people. We need to go from one thing to the other if that's the case. We live between Jesus' first coming in Bethlehem and his second coming in judgment when he finally puts to rest sin, death, the devil, injustice, decay, and all those people who are in Christ. He says, now come here and live fully in my kingdom, in my presence. It'll be a glorious day if you're in Christ. Amen? We live between those times. But in our me-focused culture, subjective culture, where if what I believe is what I feel is right, it's easy to receive the words, and many people do, God loves me, and call that good enough. Paul tells us, indeed, that's not all the story. That's not all that God has in mind. We are called brothers and sisters, called to be more than simply loved by God. We're called to be transformed to be like Jesus Christ. To become the visible expression of His love and hope for the world that needs Him. We might say, and this is our point today, that we who follow Christ are called to be saints, to live holy lives, who call others to become saints who live holy lives? Now, that's a cumbersome way to say something that we actually say every week as our mission statement. We could probably make it pithier than that. But we're called as saints to live holy lives who call others to become saints who live holy lives. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you claim him and follow him, 
then this call is real and it's big, but as we discover in the words of Paul, it's actually very achievable because he's given us the power to do it. And if you're watching or, or with us in person today and you're not a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ, then the call is actually on you as well to go from simply being loved by God, because we are, to becoming his saints, his holy ones who follow him and discover God's kingdom life today. So I want to walk through this about basically two verses at a time and look at what Paul is saying through this. And we'll do some definitions of words as we go along. So chapter or verses one and two, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So we'll stop there. Paul says he's called to be an apostle. And he begins with the word gospel, which we hear an awful lot in church life. And what does that mean? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Good news is literally the definition of gospel in Greek. But what that means is that the kingdom of God has come with Jesus Christ. When he started his ministry, that's when God's kingdom began. God's kingdom being the rule and sovereign reign of God over his creation. But we recognize that there we still live in a world of sin, and so that's not fully happened yet. God is unfolding his kingdom in our presence, and we who follow Christ and say yes to him enter into that kingdom presence, living under the kingship of Jesus Christ in a world that doesn't move at that pace, in a world that still rejects God quite often and says, I'm going to do my own thing. We live differently. That's what we heard it in the children's sermon. I can tell who the ones living under the kingship of Jesus Christ are because they act differently. That's the call on us. That's what it means to live under the gospel. You might even say that the location of our salvation is the kingdom of God. That's what that means. And we enter that life in the kingdom even today only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we've already established happened. It's a thing that occurred. It's not simply metaphorical. So Paul says, it's that thing that I'm called. I'm called to the gospel, the good news, God's reign over the world. You're called into that as well, is what he's telling us. He says, I'm called, and, and that word called, I think it was a great demonstration here of kids being called up on these little dots this morning. To be called is to be officially asked to do something. It's getting an RSVP to the party and then filling it out. That's all a calling is. It's not a complicated thing. Paul says, I'm called to be an apostle. And if we define apostle here, this is actually one of those words that is surprisingly contentious in Christian theological circles and depending on your tradition. But we're gonna, I'm going to tell you the two senses that it gets used. Both are in play here. Uh, one is, at its basic root, it just means somebody who's sent. That's an apostle. It's, it's a sent person commissioned to give a specific message to a specific people. I think that it often comes with in Scripture that somebody is sent to take a message to people that haven't heard the message yet. That's often how it's used. That's a really basic definition. But then some people where it gets contentious is some people question, are there apostles today or was that just relegated to the 12 disciples and some of the other followers of Jesus and Paul? Um, and I'm not going to get into that, but, but it does refer, 
we know that, at least to those people who were the first witnesses of the risen Jesus Christ, and then commissioned to take that message out as leaders in the early church. Paul fits both of those definitions, so we're not going to worry about uh, the reality of if they're apostles today. I think there are, but that's a different matter. Paul, he says I'm, he's a witness to the risen Jesus Christ. When he was converted on the road to Damascus, he didn't see a vision of Jesus. He saw Jesus. That's what we're told. He had a leadership role in taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to new territory. And he says, that's my job. He was set apart for the task of being a saint, living a holy life, calling others to a holy life. Paul says, that's my role, my calling. Now, if we continue on to verses 3 and 4, Paul moves us into new territory with the Son. He says, regarding his Son, who as to his early earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The appointed Son and the Spirit of holiness are the key things to catch here. Spirit of holiness is a fascinating term for Holy Spirit that's being used here. And it's fascinating because Paul is writing as the Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was with a, even though he spoke and wrote in Greek, that's what Hebrews is written in. That's the world that they grew up in and Paul grew up in. He still has a Hebrew mind in how he thinks. And he's writing to a Gentile and Jewish audience, but he's writing in Greek, but he says it in Hebrew is basically what he does here. So he's, it's just a curiosity that he does. The spirit of holiness is really a Hebrew way of saying the Holy Spirit is all, only he did it in Greek. And that I, the word holy, when we encounter that, we encounter that a couple times in the passage, importantly, is that which is pure or clean, that which is right and true, that which is the standard by which we would measure what is right and wrong. That's holy. Paul says the spirit of holiness is the one who then appointed the Son, to do what he did. The late scholar F.F. Bruce points out that appointed, we could easily translate it as designated. We could also say it's just like called, tasked with. That the Son was given a specific task to do. That's what appointed means. It doesn't mean, and this is worth pointing out, that Jesus didn't exist at one point and then did exist, that he was created that's a heresy, actually. And the early church dealt with that in the 300s and beyond. It means that he had a task to do, and he was given the power to do that task and the commission to do that task. And the key to how we understand what the task is, is that word he was appointed, uh, appointed through the Spirit of holiness, appointed the Son of God in power. It's kind of a, a packaged phrase. So just as we talked about on the third day, the tomb was empty. And on the third day, when the tomb was empty, it's God's power that did the raising of Jesus from the dead. Somehow the spirit of holiness had appointed him and then God's power through that spirit raises him from the dead. Jesus was appointed to do something only he could do in that death and resurrection when he died on the cross and was raised from the dead. Why did God raise Jesus from the dead? Well, we know from what we've read so far, it's because God loves you and me. But it goes further, as we've already seen. Jesus was set apart for the task of making you a saint through that process. Of making you a saint, able to live a holy life, 
to call others to live a holy life. Because without Jesus rising from the dead in power, appointed to that position, we could want to be like Christ. We could want that life, but there's no power given to us to accomplish that. We cannot be holy on our own. It's only the spirit of holiness that can do that through Jesus Christ. And he was appointed to make us holy. Not just loved by God, but more. Then we get to verse 5. We'll take this one on its own. Verse 5, Paul says, Through him, through, through Jesus Christ, through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And here things turn, I think, in the, in the passage. This is all just an introduction to the letter, but I think there's so much here. This is where things turn. So Paul is talking about his own call. Through him, he's been uh, given that apostleship, but it, it starts to turn towards the church, and we can apply that to us as well as part of the, the church today. The word grace is now employed. Grace of God. Grace simply defined as God's loving action towards his creation. God's loving action towards his creation, specifically towards humans. That's grace. Grace is, by definition, undeserved and selfless. If you give grace, trying to get something back, by definition, it's not grace. It's a gift. It's given without any expectation of getting something in return. Paul is talking about his call, but when we begin to understand what the grace of God implies and how he begins to push it out towards uh, the church and what that means here, it takes on a, a broader and bigger meaning because the implication of receiving God's grace, even though God gives it selflessly, the implication on us is actually obedience. That's the appropriate response to God's grace. That is submission and conforming to his standard, which is holiness. So the grace of God is given. God gives it freely because he loves us. But the response from us is that we would be obedient to God's standard, that is holiness. Grace is needed from God because without it, we can't transform into the image of Christ on our own and become holy. Jesus died to make us holy. God loves us, but he died to do something with that love, to transform us into the image of Christ, which we can't do on our own. And the spirit of holiness is needed to work in us to make that obedience a reality. But again, in the, the world that we live, and I hear this actually quite a lot, when we say the word obedience, people hear burden is what they hear. I have to do something is what they hear. Because we don't like to submit. We don't want to conform. We want to be individuals. I take uh, my you know, oldest daughter to high school every morning of the week, and I see all those individuals walking to school who want to be unique, wearing the exact same clothes. We want to be unique, right? We all did it at that age, by the way. But to live obediently, it's a response to God's grace. But sometimes you don't hear it that way. Let me give you a story to illustrate what it should be like. Over Thanksgiving, uh, our family took a trip to Dallas. I know exotic, right? And we went down there to see a number of things. We wanted to do something different. Now that we're a family of four, we were trying to figure out what does that look like? Let's go completely do something some, totally different. 
and, and new territory for all of us. And there were things we thought would be fun to see down there. But on Thanksgiving Day, we knew very little would be open. We're away from home, not staying with family. We just went to a hotel. And so we went to the zoo. I'm a huge fan of zoos. We went to the zoo on Thanksgiving Day. It was pouring rain the whole time. We were drenched. I loved it. I had the time of my life. It was so fun. And, um, but we went to get out of the rain, which turned out to be not that much out of the rain. I don't want to throw the zoo under the bus, but the, the herpetology building was leaking like a sieve that day. So we went into the herpetology building and tried not to slip on the floor and see all the reptiles as we kind of first arrived there to get out of the rain. And we're in there for a long time. It was a pretty good display of, of different reptiles and snakes and all kinds of things. Of course, some native to Texas, some weren't. And um, at, for about 45 minutes, I stood there and just really listened to one of the guys in the herpetology building that really enjoyed animals and reptiles particularly. And I like people, so I like talking to people. And he liked talking about reptiles, so it was like a match made in heaven. And so he's just talking and talking for about 45 minutes, telling me I'm asking him questions. And he just really enjoyed working at the zoo. He really enjoyed reptiles. He enjoyed conservation, everything that goes with it. And he got to do all of this. There was not a point at which I watched him look over his shoulder and think, well, my supervisor is over here, so I better talk to these people about reptiles or else I'll get fired or something will happen. No, he, he would have kept talking. I'd still be there. If, if we, but he talked about it because he enjoyed it. There was no compulsion there. He wanted to talk about it. I wanted to listen. It was a nice moment. That should be our response to the obedience of God. That we want to do it because of the grace and love of God given towards us. That's our response to grace. It's obedience. And if we try to live a holy life out of compulsion, I say this carefully, but if you try to do that, you have not received the grace of God as grace. If that's what you're trying, and you're doing it to live obediently, but it's burdensome, we need to receive God's grace as grace because we haven't received His grace yet. I'm not in a position to question your salvation. I'm just saying, go back and review if you've received what God has to offer gracefully and thankfully. If we receive God's grace as a blessing, we discover that it is actually a blessing to live obediently, not a burden. And that doesn't mean we don't encounter difficult times. Jesus said as much. He said, you know what? If you follow me, sometimes people are going to be mean to you. Sometimes people are going to persecute you and push you down and do all kinds of things and say all kinds of things. That doesn't mean obedience becomes a burden at that point. It means that we have the Spirit of Christ in us to walk with us at those times so we can be obedient. And it still becomes a blessing. Finally, verses 6 and 7. We'll round it out here. It says, And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We are loved by God, Paul says. To be loved by God is to receive, it's the unconditional giving of God for us. He doesn't ask for anything more. But our response is obedience to the grace of God at that point. 
And if we're called to be his holy people, I'm going to throw this word out there. Saints is what we are. Some translations have that, saints, instead of holy people. Because the word holy, remember this is written in Greek, is the exact same word for saint. It's the exact same word for holy. And it's also the same word for saint. It's the same word. It's the same thing. To be holy is to be a saint, one of his holy ones. And you don't become a saint at death. You become a saint at life, at new life in Christ. If you follow Jesus Christ and you're in the room, you're watching online, you're a saint. You can call yourself that, Saint Beth. There you go. Write it on your card. Your response to God's love is demonstrated through Jesus Christ is to live a holy life. That's what we're supposed to do. He loves us. He's called us to something more because of that love. And if you're being made holy by God through Christ, part of being holy is you're being set apart, called. Put aside for that specific task to do something. That is to say, we're called as saints to live holy lives who call others to become saints who live holy lives. We who are called and saints live an invitational life, inviting others to kingdom life as we've experienced it, not as a burden, but as a blessing. Let's pray together. Lord, may we indeed experience your grace as a blessing this morning. There are some of us who feel very burdened. We know we're loved. Sometimes that's a hard message for people to receive. I recognize that. So for those who don't feel loved by God this morning, Lord, demonstrate your love. Help them receive your love this morning by the power of your spirit. For those of us, Lord, who can recognize that we're loved, but we don't feel called this morning, Lord, may you transcend that feeling and give us something deeper. May we experience your grace anew this morning so that we can recognize that we are indeed called to be transformed into your image, not to an ungodly life, which is our first inclination, but to a godly life. And that in that godly life, we find what we were created and designed for, to be in relationship with you from now on through eternity. A lot of us live with that as a burden, knowing that we should do more, God, and feeling the compulsion to do more, but Lord, may we feel your blessing this morning and experience your goodness in the midst of that. Prepare our hearts for your spirit of holiness. Prepare our hearts for the new life that you promised in Jesus Christ. Make us new. Make us like Christ. Amen.